It's another episode of I'm Still Learning, and in this episode, I was so excited to chat with Morgan Skinner, um, someone I found through Instagram, as with most of my guests, Um, and Morgan is a registered nurse of seven years and has worked in ICU, rehab, and public health. She lived in Zambia for two years as a Peace Corps volunteer with her husband. Morgan is also a nurse writer and fertility awareness educator. She's the owner of Fertility Defined, where she helps women learn to chart their menstrual cycles so they can identify health concerns, plan for, or avoid pregnancy. Morgan decided to become a fertility awareness educator after her own journey with endometriosis. Morgan and I discuss why cycle charting can be important whether you're trying to get pregnant or not, and how she uses more natural and Eastern medicine to manage her endo symptoms. Lastly, it's important to note that our discussions are not medical advice and you should consult your doctor before starting any form of alternative treatment or medicine. Now let's get into it with Morgan. Okay. Um, yeah, so my name is Morgan. I am a registered nurse and a fertility awareness educator. Um, I've been in nursing for seven years and kind of lived all over the place. But right now I'm living on the Oregon coast and I also do some nurse writing. So I write different blogs and continued education courses for other nurses, things like that. And so I guess what led you to becoming a fertility awareness educator? Cause that's not something that you hear of every day. Yeah, so I also have endometriosis and with a lot of people with endo, it took me a really long time to get diagnosed. Um, And one of the things that was really like key in me getting diagnosed was cycle charting. So charting my cycle really like showed me things that were abnormal and I learned so much from it that I wish I'd learned years ago. And so I, that made me want to start teaching others. And really when most people think of like, fertility awareness, a lot of times we think of it as birth control only, but when I learned um, through like a certified method, I learned that there's so many different, there's so much, so many more things about fertility awareness. And so I wanted to share that with um, other people because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it. And I feel like there's just so many benefits outside of birth control or outside of trying to conceive. And for myself, when I started learning cycle charting, um, I didn't see myself in either of those groups. I wasn't trying to get pregnant at the time. And I wasn't, I wasn't needing it for birth control only. Like I really wanted to understand, okay, what is happening in my body? Why am I seeing the things that I'm seeing? Yeah. And so it was, yeah, it was that personal um, experience that really led me to want to become an educator and teach others about their cycle. So what exactly is cycle charting? And why would it be important for women's health? Yeah, so cycle charting is, so I guess first I'll say fertility awareness is kind of what it sounds like. It's being aware of your fertility. And so I think with the fertility awareness world, there's a lot of terms that get confusing. Um, I think a lot of people have heard of cycle tracking and cycle charting. So I like to explain that like cycle charting, cycle tracking is really recording what you see. It's like if you if you're bleeding, you write on in your put in your app that you're bleeding that day, right? Like you're recording what you're seeing. Whereas cycle charting, you're taking the what and you're learning why. So you're you're learning you're starting to understand why things are happening. So cycle charting, you are learning your menstrual cycle, 
and you're learning what your biomarkers are and you're learning how to write what you're seeing and put it down on paper in a way that makes sense. Um, so you're, and believe it, or not, believe it or not, like there are pretty clear parameters about what our menstrual cycle should look like, about how long it should be, how, how many days we should, we should be bleeding, how heavy our period should be, how much cervical mucus we should be having, not just like the amount, but actually like the days we should be seeing it. There's pretty clear parameters. And so through cycle charting, you are recording what you're seeing, but you're also being able to see, okay, is this normal or abnormal? And if it's abnormal, okay, what does that mean? So that's kind of why it's really helpful for women's health because it can be used as a vital sign. Um, it's actually called the fifth vital sign because um, it can provide mm -hmm. us so much more information about our health. And our menstrual cycle, like other vital signs, it'll change when we are under stress. So like our heart rate will increase when we're under stress and our blood pressure over time increases when we're under stress. The menstrual cycle too will change. And so that's why it's a great way for us to see any hormonal imbalances. Um, but one thing that's pretty cool about our menstrual cycle is that it actually changes really quickly. And I think that's really hard for people to understand because we think that like, how can it change quickly if I'm bleeding like once a month or however long it is. But when you're charting your cycle, you're, you're looking at things every day. And so you can see those acute changes in your cycle. For example, like a delayed ovulation in response to stress. That's a really quick change. Whereas if we're just looking at a blood pressure, it can take years for stress to affect somebody's blood pressure to be chronically high. So it's a really good thing to pay attention to. Um, and it can also just show you things that you're doing in your life that might not be that helpful. So like, I feel like exercise and diet is a really good one. Like there are things that you might think are really healthy, but your body might have something else to say. Like you might think, oh, everybody's doing it, it's fine, but your body might not like that HIIT workout, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. through charting your cycle, you can really identify things that might not be an obvious problem. So what are some of the things, um, I know there's a lot that goes into cycle charting, um, especially mm -hmm. when you're starting out, but what are a few key things um, that someone would be looking for when they wanna start charting? So it depends on the method that somebody uses. So there are really three main types of fertility awareness methods. There's a symptothermal, a symptohormonal, and then a cervical mucus only. So all of the cycle charting methods, you're going to be paying attention to your biomarker. Your biomarker is just things that you see. So a biomarker is your temperature, your cervical mucus, your bleeding, and then can also be um, symptoms that you're having. So symptothermal, just like it sounds, symptoms being the things that you see, and that can be like your cervical mucus, and then thermal being basal body temperature. So if somebody was charting with that method, um, they would take their temperature every day, first thing in the morning, and they would record that. And then they would record any symptoms that they're having, but also their cervical mucus. So the two main biomarkers there would be cervical mucus and BBT. Um, so really like the first really what you need is like a journal <laughs> or an app so you can record stuff. Like it really doesn't have to be that complicated. You can get a fancy chart if you want to, but you really don't have to um, if, you're, if you're just starting out um, tracking. If you are charting using a specific method, that's when you might need to have an app that pairs with that method, or you would have a special chart for it. Reason being that each method has its own symbols and colors that represent something. Um, and so you might not, you could do it in a journal, but it might take a lot more time to like actually design like the graph that you need. 
Um, But that's really it. And then it's, you're just paying attention to things throughout the day. And usually when you're charting, um, you pay attention to things throughout the day and then you record at night. Okay. So one of the um, reasons I came across your Instagram page, um, because like you said, you also have endometriosis. But what I found really interesting is I hadn't found someone like yourself who was managing their symptoms um, or treating their symptoms using more natural ways. Um, Mostly, I saw a lot of your herbs and your tinctures, um, Mm -hmm. and that was super interesting to me. And so I'm curious, um, what led you in that direction? And and what, I guess, how did you learn what herbs and, and what methods were best for you? So to be honest, I didn't really feel like I had a choice, right? Like with endometriosis, like besides birth control and besides surgery, like Western medicine really doesn't have much to offer us. I mean, I guess there's prescription pain medications, but if anybody has endometriosis, they know that like, even if they do help, they come at a a cost, right? Like there's side effects and that has problems too. Um, And so for me, it was kind of like, I've tried everything and nothing was helping. I did get excision surgery. And I did see some relief after excision surgery, but it still wasn't like, I don't say that I, it wasn't helping enough, but like, I wasn't seeing the progress. And at the time, like the rate of progress that I wanted, like I was, it was still like something was missing and my body just needed a lot more support. So I actually, I actually said to my husband, I was like, well, if nobody's going to help me, I'm going to help myself. And I went online <laughs> and I bought a botanical medicine. Um, medicine textbook for women's health, bought it and I read it. And I was like, okay, so I'm, and I was shocked at just how much information was there. And the textbook that I bought was written by a midwife, a medical doctor and an herbalist. So this person was really qualified and really knew her stuff. And the textbook was just full of a lot of data. And with my background in a nurse, like I really do value that data and information. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just something that's important to me. And that's like my brain thinks in that way. So like I can relate to those things and it just helps me to understand things better. So, um, yeah. So when I got that textbook and I, it was just one thing led to another, I just started buying more herbal books and reading them. I'm also a book nerd, so that helps. Um, but I started learning, um, that there really is a lot that I could do to help myself. And I think that Well, so another thing was that when I was living in Zambia, I was taking a medication every day uh, to prevent malaria. And that really left like a sour taste in my mouth, not like literally, not literally, but figuratively (laughs) with medicine. And I just, because from the moment I started taking it, like I did not feel like myself and I had to take it every day for two years and it caused a lot of side effects. I hated it. And that really turned me off from medicine. That was the first time in my life that I had to take a daily medication before it was just like an as needed type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also was sick a lot while I was there. So I was taking a lot of antibiotics and stuff. So I, I will say that like, I did not want to turn to medications um, because I just had a terrible experience with them and I wanted to try something else. And so one thing that I really liked with herbs is that because you're taking something that's not just an isolated substance when you take an herb, you're taking the whole plant you're less likely to have side effects. Now, of course there are, like if you're taking the the wrong herb at the wrong dose for the wrong reason, you might have side effects, but when you're using it safely, 
you're less likely to have as many side effects with herbs. And so that was something that was really comforting to me, knowing that like, I can take this thing and not have to be too worried about having all these other side effects. Yeah. Um, and I think another big thing that drew me to herbs was that I was having and still do have some digestive issues, but nowhere near as many as I was having. And that's digestive upset, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation. That's like a common side effect for almost any medication that you take, especially when you're taking them chronically, um, birth control, pain medications, they all have, um, digestive upset as a side effect. And I was, so that was something that I definitely did not want was not attractive to me. Um, and then it's just like, I don't want to take a pill for a pill for a pill. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to just take something to cover up a side effect. Um, and so that it was just all those things together really like set the stage for me to be interested in herbs. And another thing that's pretty cool about herbs is that because you're taking a whole plant form, they're nourishing, you know, like you're getting vitamins and minerals in that herb. So you're not only taking something to help your symptoms, but you're also strengthening your body. And I, I think it was when it was presented to me in that way, I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Cause a lot of medications, they deplete us. And as people with endometriosis who have a lot of inflammation and a lot of stress, that's depleting us of vitamins and minerals. So taking a medication that's also going to deplete it just doesn't make sense. And so, yeah, I, all these things together really made me want to learn more about herbs. Um, and then obviously, like once I started using them and then I saw like, hey, this is effective. That was like the motivation to keep using them and to keep learning and keep trying things to treat different symptoms that I would get. So you have a medical background. I do not. If I wanted to start using herbs, because I'm sort of in the same position um, that you were where I had excision surgery done by a specialist. Um, I'm heading towards the possibility of having to have a third surgery because of some things that I have going on, but we're, we are very limited, um, in terms of what our options are when it comes to the Western medicine side. Um, and so I am interested in other ways to treat my symptoms. And like you said, try to not cause more stress on our bodies, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't know where to start. So if you were talking to somebody like me and I said, well, how do I even begin to know what types of herbs and how much and how to prepare them? Um, And I know that's a lot I'm throwing at you, but where would be the best place to start? So I think it also depends on like, so for you, um, it also depends on like, what, how involved you want to be? Like, it's like, you can totally do what I did and teach yourself, or you can kind of like seek out somebody who you trust and who is an expert. So if you wanted to teach yourself, um, there are tons of great books that you can, that you can read. So for me, myself, I kind of do a mixture. So yes, I taught myself, but I also have the mindset of like better safe than sorry. So I also consult somebody. Um, so I have a lot of books. If I'm going to try an herb, I will cross check through at least five different books because maybe one author didn't tell me about a side effect, or maybe one author um, doesn't know that it has this property. So I always like to cross check before I start a new herb. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also talk to my acupuncturist. So some people might not know this, but acupuncturists, um, because they're trained in Chinese medicine, also called TCM, which is traditional Chinese medicine, 
they get a lot of background and training and using herbs because that's a big part of Chinese medicine. And so um, I talk to my acupuncturist and I say, hey, I've been reading about this herb. This is what I think it would be good for. What do you think? And they might say like, yeah, I think that'd be really good. Or they might say, no, I don't think you need that or something else, you know, but I like to have like that extra check. So that's kind of like what I, what I do um, for somebody that um, maybe they don't have the capacity or they don't have the desire to teach themselves. Um, I would say you can seek out an herbalist or you can seek out an acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like seeking out an acupuncturist because you're getting that perspective of Eastern medicine, which I think really blends and complements Western medicine very, very well. Cause you're just, mm-hmm. you're looking at the same thing just from another perspective. And so like, yeah. it makes sense if you think about it, like I'm going to get more information that way. Um, so I really like that. Um, and they're really knowledgeable about herbs. And I feel like another thing to know is that in the U S an acupuncturist is licensed, whereas an herbalist is not. So anybody can call themselves an herbalist. And there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of great credible herbalists who have taken a certification program, but you can also take a three-day weekend program and get a certificate and call yourself an herbalist. And so it's really hard if you're starting out to know who's credible, what can I trust? And it can be a lot of work to know, like, to go into it and figure out um, who is a good person to trust. So I would say an acupuncturist might be an easier route overall to go. And then if you're so interested, you can also try acupuncture too. Um, That has really (laughs) great benefits too. But that's what I would actually recommend is um, seeking out an acupuncturist. And then if you don't have one in your area, if you can't find one, then looking for an herbalist um, to help recommend herbs. Um, You can talk to your doctor, but they're less likely to provide like good feedback on what herbs to use just because it's not medicine and doctors are medical (laughs) doctors. So they're trained in medicine, not herbs. So um, they're probably not going to be able to help that much because most of their training and continued education isn't going to be focused on herbs. That's perfect. And I like that you have an approach where um, you're not completely discrediting Western medicine, but that, you know, it's a balance between the two. Um, And I think a lot more people could benefit from that thought process. Um, At least when it comes to, especially when you have like a chronic illness, because there are a lot of times where you just feel defeated, like -hmm. you don't have any other options. Um, And yeah, I think that's just a good way of explaining it. That's more of a balance and not completely like disregarding everything that you've done so far. For sure. And I think it's really hard too, when you have endometriosis, because a lot of people come to you with their suggestions and a lot of us, we've tried so much. And so it can be really hard for somebody to say, have you tried herbs? And for us, like, and it can, it can be really defeating, really frustrating to be like, to one, to get another, it it makes you feel like you haven't tried enough. And that's not true. Like the reason you have a chronic illness is not because you haven't tried enough. It's because there's no cure. You know, it's like, there's a big difference there. And so I think it's important to also like make it clear that I'm not saying that herbs will cure endometriosis because I feel like that's a very big statement. I don't have research to support that. I would like one day to say that it can, but I don't know that. So I can't say that, but can it help? It helps me. I don't know if it can help you, but like it helps me. And I think that's important to like take it all with a grain of salt and like 
understand that there's going to be limitations to everything. We're all different. Endometriosis looks different for everybody. Um, and we all have different desires and capacities for what we work with, for what we can work with. But I think that also for me, like once I understood more about herbs from like a scientific lens, because like I said, like that just clicks more with my brain, it made me much more trusting and understanding. And like, when we think about it, like how long have we had medicine and how long have been, have people been sick? You know, it's like, we've been sick for a very, very long time. Yeah. And one thing that I learned um, relatively recently when I was looking more into herbs is that there's a really big difference between we don't have data to, to stay this when, so it's saying like, we don't have data to support this. There's a big difference between we don't have data because the data doesn't exist versus we don't have data because the research hasn't been done. So I feel like a lot of times when we hear like, oh, there's no research to support this, we think, oh, this doesn't work. But when really what it means is we don't have the research study and the way that we want it to look with in, in our parameters to say and prove that this works. But we do have a lot of historical, um, historical data, anecdotal data. We have a lot of documentation that shows that certain herbs can be used for certain symptoms. And I think that it's, I think that we lose a lot when we discredit that. Like, yeah, sure, we don't have the scientific data, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean by default that these things aren't good and that they can't work, you know? And I think that's, I think at least from like the Western mindset, because using herbs is so different from us that we automatically make it inferior. We think, okay, if there's a big problem, we need medicine because that's what we're used to. But it doesn't have to be that way. Like a lot of what, a lot of our medications come from plants. Like that's how we, that's how we've studied and made plants We or made medicine. We see like, okay, this plant is really helpful. Well, what's in this plant that makes it so helpful? Then we take that one compound and we make it synthetically in a lab and then we sell it. I'm like, yeah, that's helpful too, but the plant form itself can also be really helpful. So I think for me, going back to like understanding just how herbs can work to begin with, that has really changed like my mindset and my view on using herbs because this might surprise you, but like five years ago, me, I would have been the one to say like, no, herbs aren't going to help me. Like, why would I turn to herbs? Like, that's like the total opposite for me. So like, it yeah. is pretty huge for me to say like that herbs can be really helpful because like in my background, like I didn't learn about herbs in nursing school. And so I don't know if it was just ignorance or if it was just like this belief that medicines were stronger or better. I'm not sure, but mm -hmm. I definitely didn't like, would never have guess that like future me would be using herbs and tinctures to like treat my nausea or whatever, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you do, um, I don't know if you call it coaching or um, if what the right phrase is, but you do work with clients. Um, and what exactly do you work with them on? Fertility, um, overall health, yeah, so I um, I have kind of like two options to work with people. So I teach fertility awareness. So the method that I teach is called FEM. It's fertility education and medical management. So I work with people one-on-one. -on -one. And for learning FEM, it is a cycle charting method. It's a hormonal, symptom-hormonal method. So it uses cervical mucus and LH testing. Um, but one thing that's really cool about FEM is that it's paired with medical management. So what that means is that um, through working together, if there's something that is abnormal in a person's chart, I can refer them to a doctor who's trained in reading that menstrual cycle chart. 
So they can look at a chart and they can quickly see, okay, this, this, and this is going on and they can order specific testing um, to get a faster diagnosis. And they also treat the root cause. So their goal is to get you ovulating again and to get your body functioning again. So a FEM doctor is not just gonna prescribe birth control, which is gonna be what most gynecologists will do. They might order mm -hmm. some testing, but usually like that's gonna be your like your first line treatment will say, okay, let's try birth control and see what happens. Whereas with a thin doctor, they're not going to do that because you don't ovulate on birth control and their goal is to get you to ovulate. So they're going to, they might prescribe a medication or they might prescribe just dietary and lifestyle changes, or they might prescribe supplements. It's really tailored to the person, but they, um, they can help you find your root cause essentially. And so my role in that is teaching somebody how to understand their body how to learn what their biomarkers are and how to chart that on paper to create this really good health record. So part of that is understanding um, the reproductive anatomy and physiology, just really understanding what's happening in the menstrual cycle and what, I'm, what does it mean when I'm feeling X, Y, or Z symptom. Um, so I teach that and that takes three sessions. Um, but my coaching set, my coaching program is similar to that. So you still learn that, but then I offer one-on-one -on -one support for cycle syncing, advocacy tips, because all of us have had times when we go to the doctor's office and no matter how nicely we ask things, we don't get what we want. So I provide right. coaching for that um, because I've obviously have a lot of experience working with doctors and that's part of my job is getting them to get what the patient wants. So I teach people how to like speak in a way where they can be more likely to be heard and then what to do if you still aren't, things like that. So I offer a lot of support there um, and then just do more frequent check-ins. So the coaching part is really tailored to the person and the individual and helping them really make choices that um, get them closer to their goals, whatever that might be. So how, what would your first steps be um, working with a new client? Would it be to identify what their goals are or how would you go about that? Yeah, so definitely the first step is a lot of information gathering. I definitely want to know what people's goals are, um, whether they want to learn to cycle chart for birth control or if they're trying to conceive, if they're just wanting health monitoring. But I also want to know like what's going on in their life because like we all have different capacities to learn. And I don't want somebody to like, I don't want somebody to sign up and then be like, oh yeah, I have surgery tomorrow. You know, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like take a step back. Like, this is not what you need right now. Like you need to focus on your surgery, you know, and yeah. then give yourself time to recover. So I want to know that like people are in the right like phase of their life where they can take on something new because it does require some behavior change. Um, but then once you like implement the new things, like it's easy, but so there's a lot of, there's a lot of information gathering at first. Um, I also want to know like how people learn. Um, I think that my approach is a little bit different because I do have the nursing background. So I know that people are different, that we all have different learning styles and that's okay. And so I want to make sure that like what I am giving to people, like they can, they can receive it in a way that's helpful for them. Um, so I do that so I can like adapt my teaching style. Um, so yeah, information gathering, and then we go from there. Um, but people can reach out to me um, on my website and Instagram or email, but once we get started, then they can schedule, schedule their sessions and then uh, we get started with the sessions. So do you work with clients from all over? Like over, all over the world? The, all over the U.S. or the world? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, I wasn't sure if you meant all over like anybody like topic wise or like location. Um, 
Yeah, anybody. So my I I offer the the sessions online. So really anywhere um, I can I can work with somebody because we do it. I do my sessions over Zoom right now. So anywhere somebody is, I can work with them. That's amazing. I'll make sure um, that we put your information in the notes of the show. Um, and I'll tag you when everything goes up um, so people can find you. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time because like I said, when I found your account on Instagram, I hadn't met or seen anybody um, that was taking the approach um, to fertility awareness and, um, you know, and treatments the way that you did. And it really kind of opened up my perspective on things. And I appreciate that so much. Um, Before we wrap everything up, um, I do a little segment at the end called One Thing. And so we talk about one important thing um, about all types of different subjects. But um, the one I wanted to start with is what is one important thing for you that you learned by charting your cycle? Hmm, there's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think like, okay, so like the obvious big thing is like, it helps me figure out that I have endometriosis. That was like the biggest thing that I learned. But I think that like more generally speaking, um, it would be that period pain is not normal. Like we generalize it, um, but it's not normal. (laughs) I mean, normal is a very overrated word, I think. (laughs) Yes, it's common. It's common, but it's not normal. And again, it's like pain means so many different things to different people. Like describe your pain. Like I want to hear what, when you say you have pain, like tell me like what that feels like, because pain for one person is not pain for another person. So we can't just give a broad statement and say period pain is normal. Like that's just not true. Yeah, hundred um, percent. What's one le- one thing that you've learned about using herbs to manage your endometriosis symptoms? Mm. I think that I would have to reiterate what I said earlier. So, like when medicine says we don't have research to support this, or there's lacking evidence, that what they mean is that research isn't being done. But what many people hear when they hear that is, oh, herbs don't work, but that's just not true. So I think like through learning and working with herbs, I learned that there is a lot more that I can do to support my body and to relieve certain symptoms that I'm having. What's one thing you've learned as a fertility awareness educator? Mm. I know there's so much into these questions. (laughs) There is. I know. I know. Well, I'm glad you said one thing and not one word because one word would be even more challenging. Um, So I think that, okay, so since being a fertility awareness educator, I'd say one thing that I've learned that has been a little slightly surprising um, with a caveat, but it's that not everybody wants to work to improve their health and that's okay. So I say that like that's surprising because like that's different than my own experience, but the part where it's like, that's okay comes in is that we're all different. And for one person, yeah, they might need that nudge to work on their health, but for the other, like they need a break. Like they've been working on their health for so long that like, they don't need to put more emphasis on it. So I'd say like, that's the big thing is that like, not everybody wants to learn more about their health, you know, like, and that, that's, that's fine. Um, what's one thing you've learned as a women's health advocate? Because that's just a little bit different than an educator. Yeah, um, that science has prioritized males. This one was really shocking to me. Like I said, I went to nursing school and I never would have thought that 
what I was learning was biased and that I was learning to see people through a different lens. But even down to a cellular level, when we conduct research studies, we're still choosing male cells. It's like bizarre how much, how much research that we have is still based off of males. And then so it's yeah. like on every level, we know more about the male body than we do about the, the female body. That, yeah, that's crazy to me, but yeah. Um, and finally, what's one thing you've learned through sharing your story on social media? This one, um, so that people are really uncomfortable talking about sadness and grief. They want to, they, they want to say that they're supportive. Like we all want to mm-hmm. think that we're supportive, but the truth is that like, we don't like people when they're sad and they're, and they're expressing their grief. We like the version of them that's happy. How do yeah. I know this? Because when I, the most interaction that I get on posts are the ones that are uplifting and supporting and encouraging. And like, it makes sense. Like there's no judgment there. Like we, grief and sadness are hard emotions, but also it's just been really like eye-opening for me to, to like see that through the numbers to like being reflected through social media is just that, yeah, people, people don't, people don't like that. They, they don't like to sit with sadness and and grief. Um, but I feel like if I don't share that part of my story, then I'm not telling the whole story because that's part of it. Yeah. I think, um, a lot of us that, you know, share what's going on with us on social media kind of feel that. Um, and I, me personally, I feel it in person too. People, when someone asks you how you're doing, um, I don't think they truly want to know how you're doing. They want that like, oh, I'm fine or I'm good. Um, And, you know, sometimes you're not fine. Sometimes you're not doing good. Um, So, yeah, that's that's something I've learned, too. Um, And starting this podcast, too, like I have a lot of episodes that are talking to people like yourself, other um, women who are dealing with endometriosis, and um, they might not be the most popular episodes, but I think it's important um, to share their stories and because everybody has a different journey. Everybody has a different um, path that they take um, to their health and wellness. And, you know, maybe it'll help somebody else. But I really I so much appreciate your time and sharing all this with me. Um, and I just, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you asked me to come on. It's really nice to be able to talk and share a little bit more about my my story and my journey. So thanks for having me.